Welcome to the Campus Christian Fellowship Podcast for the University of Iowa, Iowa State University, and the University of Northern Iowa. This week we're going to be covering 1 Corinthians 15, and the theme of 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection. I, I do want to point out that um, this is actually the first part of a, of a two-part covering of 1 Corinthians 15. We've split this up into two weeks because it's just such a fundamentally important chapter for what Paul is trying to communicate in 1 Corinthians. Uh, so 1 Corinthians overall is um, a chance to take all of the problems that are facing the church in Corinth and reinterpret, reanalyze them through this gospel lens to help the Corinthians see how to best live out um, the way that they're supposed to live out their faith and, and the way that the church is supposed to work. And so Paul has been building this entire time towards, I think, the end of the letter here in chapter 15 when he focuses on the resurrection of Jesus. Because for Paul, the resurrection of Jesus is like the central point that ties everything together. It's the main thrust of his theology. He talks about here that if the resurrection didn't happen, that we're to be the most pitied because everything kind of falls apart if there's no resurrection. And so... We're going to be starting to talk about that right now, and so let's just dig into some text in 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verses 3 through 8. For I deliver to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So right away, uh, Paul does um, something that he's been doing throughout the book of 1 Corinthians in verse 3 here. Uh, he's reminding them of kind of the traditions, the things that have been handed down of, of the gospel. And, and so he begins with verse 3 there, For I delivered to you as of the first importance what I also received, reminding them this is something that's been in place. This is something that's been talked about going on. Um, one of the significant things about the account of the resurrection here in 1 Corinthians is this is arguably the earliest written account uh, that survived of Jesus' resurrection. Um, and, and that's kind of significant because this is the earliest dating you can have for 1 Corinthians is somewhere around 50 AD, which would be 20-ish years after uh, the resurrection. Um, again, going by traditional dating, some of that's not some of that's debated as to those dates. But either way, we've had a couple decades have passed since the resurrection has happened, and we have maybe the first written account here. And so some people will use that as a little bit of skepticism. Why did people wait 20-ish years before writing down about this resurrection of Jesus? If this was such an important thing, why did they take so long to write about it? Why do we not have written accounts from earlier? And there's a couple different defenses against that. Um, it's possible that earlier written accounts didn't survive, um, that that they just weren't deemed important enough to copy and pass along, and so those texts didn't didn't last, didn't survive. I, I think um, that, for one, that's definitely a good possibility, but also that the disciples and the followers of Christ, uh, the thing that they were most 
caring about doing was passing along this message, was telling other people about it. It's still primarily an oral culture. It's hard to write things down. It costs money to write things down. There's not a lot of paper and ink. And there's, frankly, not as many literate people. And so the most important thing to pass along is verbally, is telling others, this is who Christ was, this is what he did. And so that's where most of that focus is in the first couple decades after Jesus' resurrection. we got to tell everybody that we can about what's going on. And they started organizing churches and putting together the movement. And, and so there's a lot of other things going on that it's only later, as that first generation starts to pass away, that they decide, hey, we need to be writing this down for posterity. Uh, it needs to be something that can be maintained. And so people like Paul, who himself says that he's experienced the resurrected Christ, people like John and Matthew that were part of the 12 that were with Jesus, they start to write their gospel accounts. They start to record exactly what happened and went down in Jesus' life, including his death and resurrection. And so that's part of the reason why I think that they waited so long. But also, um, there's this cool thing that's going on in verses three, um, 3 and 4 in that uh, there, there's a hint here within the Greek language. The, the word that is translated that is actually the Greek word hadi. And it can have uh, two different meanings. It can either mean that, the way it's been translated here in the ESV, or it can actually mean quotation marks. And so every time you see a that, it could be Paul saying that there's a direct quotation here. Uh, so we could actually read verses 3 and 4. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. Quote, Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures. Quote, he was buried. Quote, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And if I think if we take those as quotation marks, then it means uh, Paul could be quoting an earlier source than even what he's writing down that is a witness to the resurrection, possibly a creed that's been developed by the early church um, or an actual written document that's talking about the resurrection. And what I love about this is just the simplicity of it. The reminder of Christ, of what his death and what his resurrection um, was. Very simply, Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. And so I think that's just a really neat thing that Paul's doing right away, is reminding them the importance of that, of maybe one of their earliest church creeds, that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, he was raised on the third day. And to me, that's kind of the simple beauty of the, the resurrection story. If we can just remember those details, that it, it says a lot about what Christ did and what it means. Um, but, but let's dig into that even some more, because um, Paul goes on and he has more to say about it. And, and so he even starts to bring up some, some names, uh, some people that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection, to remind the Corinthians, by the way, if there's skepticism about that, if you're not sure, because absolutely there's people doubting. The reason he's writing this is because the Corinthian church is questioning, did Jesus actually resurrect from the dead? That doesn't happen. People don't just come back from the dead. There is no resurrection. And, and so there's a lot of uh, people in the church that are even saying that. And so Paul's confronting this perspective and saying, Jesus did really rise from the dead. There really was a resurrection. You can go ask these people. You can ask Peter. You can ask any of the 12 apostles. You can ask more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Most of these people you can go and talk 
to these 500. And the Corinthians might have known some of their names. There may have even been some that were now in Corinth or at least in the neighboring area in those churches because a lot of the people that were disciples of Christ um, and that were that broader 500 that followed Christ around, they went and became missionaries. They went to other places. They went to share the gospel. And so some of them may have ended up in the Corinthian area. And so there's a chance to possibly go talk to these people. So, so Paul's reminding them, hey, there's actual eyewitnesses to what the resurrected Jesus said and did. Go talk to these people. There's also a cool thing that he does here. Whenever lists appear in, in Greek, there's some significance to them. And there's usually some literary things going on. So Paul has two different lists. Um, he says, Peter, then to the twelve, then to more than 500 brothers. His second list, he says, to James, then all the apostles, um, which actually could just be another way of referring to the twelve disciples. Um, and then last of all, he appeared to me. And, and so that first list kind of sets this format. Uh, we've got one person, then to 12, um, so one very significant person, then to 12, still significant people, and then to 500 people, and, and so that number increases um, as, as the significance of, of the people in some ways. We've got a leader of the church, the 12 apostles, 500 people. Um, not saying that those 500 are insignificant, but they're not nearly as significant as Peter, as the 12 disciples. So we're moving in a greater number, but maybe less significant of people. And then he says, James, significant person, leader of the church in Jerusalem. All the apostles, again, maybe referencing that exact same 12 as the list before. Um, but here is where he switches the formula that he just established in the previous list. Instead of saying even more and more people, he says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. It's this cool thing where Paul is being both saying like, I'm significant and yet I'm not that significant. Uh, there's Jesus, the resurrected Christ, took time to appear to me, but I'm not that significant a person. And in fact, the next couple verses, Paul starts to go through and have this really humble take on who he is, talking about himself as the least of the kingdom, that he was one who persecuted the church, that, that he really shouldn't matter, and yet the resurrected Christ appeared to him. And so I think Paul's doing this cool thing where he's trying to kind of bring us in, where the resurrected Jesus is for us. Even though we are insignificant, we are still significant to the resurrected Christ. And so I think there's some neat things going on there that Paul's saying. Um, so let's let's dig into some more text. We've got verses 12 to 19 now that I'm going to read. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So Paul starts constructing this logical argument in the negative. What if none of this were true? What if there is no resurrection of the dead? Well, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ couldn't have been resurrected because if there's no resurrection of the dead, then no one raises from the dead. Christ can't 
raised, have raised from the dead. But then what we're saying about God is untrue because we said that God raised Christ. But if no one could be raised, then God couldn't have done it. And then he just starts to say, if we rule out the resurrection, if we take away that one piece, all of this starts to fall apart. This house of cards just completely falls because you've removed that one significant card and and it all just falls to pieces and then your faith is futile you're still in your sins there's no hope and we're wasting our time and our breath and so this to me represents how significant the resurrection is to paul's theology it's so significant to his way of thinking his practice of his faith that if without that peace it all falls apart And that's one of the things to me that's so significant about Christianity, especially that piece of hope, because that's something that we have as Christians. We have hope. We have hope in the resurrected Christ, because what the resurrected Christ means is that death was defeated, is that death is not the answer, is that we have life in him. And so Paul goes on to say, okay, guys, I, I told you if the resurrection didn't happen, this is how it all falls apart. But guess what? I think the resurrection did happen. So this is what it means with the resurrection. Verses 20 to 28. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man came... Uh, sorry. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then in his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expect, accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. There's some deep theology that Paul's establishing here and, and talking about authority and order and, and God putting all things, and God being all in all. And The thing I want to point out, though, from this that's so significant is the last enemy to be destroyed is death. As Christ is ruling and reigning, all authorities are being brought under his rule and reign. All the enemies and everything that stands against Christ is being defeated and destroyed. And that includes death. The resurrection means that death has been destroyed. And if death has been destroyed, that means that we are not to fear death. That death is not the end. That we have life and hope and joy in Christ, who will be our authority, who is our Lord Sometimes when we talk about the resurrection, we, we complicate it because we have all of these theories and ideas about what Christ's death meant. And, and, and sometimes I think we get so focused on his, his death, which is significant. Paul says right away in verse 3 here, 
that Christ died for our sins. That is incredibly significant. Our sins being taken away through Christ's death. Very significant. But, but we focus so much on what's called the atonement, which is that process of Christ taking away our sins, and what that means, and how we define that, and, and what we use for that. And, and I think sometimes we get so focused on that, the death aspect, the taking away our sins aspect, that we forget, forget about how much more significant I think his resurrection is, his, his life. Because if Christ were just to die and take away our sins, but the resurrection were to not happen, which again is what Paul is saying here in 15, the resurrection is what matters the most. Without the resurrection, the rest of this falls apart. Even if Christ dies for our sins, if he isn't raised again to defeat death, to, to have life, then, then that really doesn't mean anything. But Christ was raised again. He defeated death. Death has been destroyed. And we're going to rejoice in this and talk more about this uh, in the coming weeks and as we do the part two of chapter 15. But there's so much more uh, to rejoice in. There's so much more hope and there's so much more beauty in the fact that we have life through Christ's resurrection. Uh, so tune in uh, to us and it'll be two weeks when we share with you 1 Corinthians 15, part 2. More talk about the resurrection and what that means for our lives. Let's rejoice in the hope that we have in Christ. And let's remember that simple beauty of the message of the resurrection, that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised on the third day. We have hope in the resurrection of Christ. Hey, thanks for checking us out and spending some time with us this week. Quick reminder, if you're a student at Iowa State, University of Northern Iowa, or University of Iowa, we would love to connect you with a campus minister. So reach out to ccf.uiowa at gmail.com, and we will make sure we get you connected. Be sure to specify your school in an email. Additionally, if you have questions about anything you've heard today or anything that's on your mind, we would love a chance to answer that here anonymously. So you can also just drop a line there. Again, that is ccf.uiowa at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week, and please know that we are praying for you.